We're going to leave the commandments behind as we move in now into chapter 20. Jehoshaphat defeats the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Ammonites. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. So, uh, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and in Hebrew, and the Ammonites. Uh, what do you do with that? There was, uh, there's, there's a group that spells their name almost exactly the same way as the Ammonites, but it's usually pronounced the Meonites. Uh, and uh, and, and they're, then they're from Mount Sair, which is south uh, east of the, yeah, toward Florida, of the Dead Sea. Toward Florida in my mind, not in actual reality. Um, so the, these groups, they all came against Jehoshaphat for battle. So th- these are the groups, Ammon and Moab are on, just on the other side of the Dead Sea. The dividing line is the Arnon Gorge, where, uh, do you see the Dead Sea? So I have here the Dead Sea. You have a peninsula here on the Dead Sea. And this uh, river is the River Arnon. There are four major rivers that flow into the Jordan and the Dead Sea, all of them from the east, down from the mountains. Because the, what happens in Israel is the rain comes, it's, uh, the, the water is picked up off the Mediterranean, the clouds filter out the salt, and freshwater rain falls on the coast, especially on the coast and the foothills called the Shephelah. The rain also falls on the mountaintops, and then the rain often skips the eastern side of the highlands in Judah, which is why when you see pictures of uh, the caves where the Dead Sea Scrolls came from, they're all, it's just this barren rock because nothing grows there. It's basically robbers and um, scorpions. And that's all that's there in those caves. Then you have the Dead Sea and so forth. And then the rain then, no longer blocked by the mountains, falls on the eastern edge of the Transjordan. Um, so it's this, uh, the east bank over here of the Jordan River and, this, and, the, and the Dead Sea. And so you have more people who want to live over here because they can, the, the, um, the, the desert over there is not our kind of desert where we think of sand dunes and stuff. It's more like the desert of um, Wyoming. No, not a lot of people live in Wyoming. It's the third uh, uh, least populated state in America, right, after Alaska and, uh, and Montana, but then Wyoming. But what does Wyoming have? Scrub grass. You, you, can, you can, at least like buffalo and cattle and stuff, can, can graze there if you're willing to walk around with them. So nomads can live there, and they do. And the Meonites were a nomadic tribe that lived uh, around Mount Sair down here. Um, so Ammon, Moab, and then the Meonites, if that's what's meant here, would be from down about here. Clear as mud? Okay. Uh, oh, and Mount Sair here, from this painting from uh, the 1840s. Um, uh, it's actually a colored, a tinted drawing. Um, but that is Mount Sire that we're kind of zooming in on. I like to use images from the 1840s because at the end of the really good artistically drawn period like this, they also began to take photographs of Israel and um, you get wonderful depictions of what it still looked like in ancient times, but recently. Um, it's like when I, when I do uh, geographical references around the Jordan and the Dead Sea, 
I like to read a book by a man named Lieutenant Lynch. Um, Lieutenant Lynch was commanded by the United States Navy in the 1840s, to, uh, 43, I think, to come over to Israel and to do a, a, a survey for the U.S. Navy of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea. To an actual military assessment and, 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 and specific charts and maps. He had to take soundings on, on the Jordan River and in the Dead Sea. That's, he was supposed to do that. And he also then provided uh, information on what they ran into, the tribes who were there, what the weather was like, the storms and stuff. And he's obviously a Christian. And was this the mountain where our Savior was transfigured before the eyes of James, Peter, and John? You know, an atheist isn't going to write that way. Um, and uh, then Lieutenant Lynch got promoted to, uh, to, uh, uh, to commander when his state seceded from the Union and he became a Confederate ship's captain in the Civil War. But this was... I like Lieutenant Lynch's writing because it's in American English. It's the last survey of the Holy Land before it all changed into what it is today. So he's still looking at it the way that the political divisions were in ancient times. And I have it on, I, I, it, you can get it on the internet as a PDF. I printed it and, and have it all highlighted and marked up in my office, Lieutenant Lynch's survey of, uh, of, this, um, of this thing. So anyway, uh, he talks about Mount Sire uh, also and has this um, amazing uh, story of uh, how they got caught in a thunderstorm while on the Dead Sea, lost one of their ships because the, the sea got all churned up and it was terrifying and all this. And they got attacked by bandits and things. And, um, interesting. They, they, and, uh, uh, um, and then uh, uh, his friend in the beginning of the journal gets sicker and sicker and dies and they have to bury him in the Holy Land and leave him behind. And it's, that's very touching and sad also toward the end. All right, verse 2. Jehoshaphat was told, a huge horde is coming against you from beyond the sea and from Edom. What sea? Dead Sea. They, all, they are already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Um, Tamar is a Hebrew word that means um, really pretty girl or uh, flower blossom and there are a couple of women named Tamar in the Bible when I was growing up I, I knew a girl named Tammy or T Tamara it's the same kind of a, of a name like that uh, my sister's name is Nola means the same thing she's always quick to remind me remember my name means beautiful you know it's I remember Nola I think you know <laughs> so how did they get there Alrighty. if the Ammonites came from Rabbah in the north that's my little scratchy line and the Moabites would have come across the ford there from their uh, capital city. And the Meonites from Mount Sire, they could have done that, but they also could have just taken boats across. You know, it's, the Dead Sea is a body of water after all, and it would be pretty easy to just to take a boat across. Um, and the Dead Sea is not that giant of a body of water. When you remember that all of Palestine, north to south, is the same size as what state? I've tried to say this often enough. Minnesota, yeah, so, and from the Dead Sea to the Mediterranean is half the width of Minnesota, so it's not, you know, that the Dead Sea isn't that big of a body of water, I mean, you can see across it on a, you know, on a clear day, 
So to take a, I mean, I, you could even take a canoe probably across the Dead Sea, um, you know, and, but if ferry, uh, to ferry soldiers across, yeah, you could do that. I wouldn't swim it, um, uh, but uh, yeah. They ended up at En Gedi, which today is a beautiful resort, lots of hotels. It's a, it's a, it's a tourist um, attraction. Um, it's, it's the, uh, you can see that diamond, right? Yeah. Um, and if you notice, if you notice that from En Gedi to Jerusalem, that's uh, 25 miles, something like that, or 20 miles. Um, Tekoa in between here is uh, pretty close. Bethlehem would be in here somewhere. Uh, no, not even, I don't think even, yeah, 20 miles-ish. And there's a mountain pass in here that's uh, quite important to our story, uh, the mountain pass of Ziz. Um, but that's, uh, yeah, so it's close to Jerusalem. This was an emergency. You know, the king had to do something about this. So now Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he focused on seeking the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, people came to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord there is not to physically look, but to pray, to learn, to uh, study the word of God, and so forth. But I, I don't know if we should really, we did this this morning and it took the rest of the class period, um, but I'm going to ask the question here. So in verse 3, because Luther talks about it, he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And a question that comes up that came up in the 15th century and it comes up again today is, did the people have to obey the fast which the king commanded? You know, where, where, where does this fall in terms of doctrines and of co the commandments? Where does the king's authority fall? Aaron? Fourth commandment, yeah, yeah. Parents and others in authority over us. Um, and there is a chapter of the Bible that really goes into detail about the government's authority, which is Romans 13. You know, if you can remember that 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, Romans 13 is the government chapter. Um, I don't know if those two things go together, but... So here is Luther on, on this and I, 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 I found this in Luther because Melanchthon, one of Luther's um, um, fellow professors at Wittenberg, um, who had, and Melanchthon, Philip Melanchthon wrote the Augsburg Confession and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, two of our Lutheran confessions, because um, Luther couldn't go to Augsburg. He was forbidden because he was in, under house arrest, basically. But uh, Melanchthon wrote to Luther later about a whole series of topics. It's page after page of small italicized print in Luther's works. You know, he had a whole bunch of questions and Luther answers very, uh, very thoroughly. Every, he doesn't avoid anything. And as to this question that he asked about Jehoshaphat in this text and the, and the fast, Luther says, as to a purely secular law, Regardless of whether a Christian or pagan people is under the king's authority, it is the same as if the emperor universally ordered all people to fast. Um, I think that should be then. The members of the church would obey him too, since according to the flesh, the church is under the emperor. But the church does not obey as 
church. I underlined as there on, 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 on purpose because we, we, we Christians are under the government in terms of worldly things, government things. But in terms of spiritual matters, our faith, we are not subject to the government. Okay, We must obey God rather than men in spiritual terms. So this is the same situation concerning King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 4. That's Luther's response. And then um, in uh, uh, this doctrine book, which I used in college and some of you may have seen before, a summary of Christian doctrine by Edward, Edward? Yes, Kaler, written in the early part of the 20th century, I believe. Um, he was, we were in fellowship at that time with the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He was an LCMS pastor. Um, uh, Kaler says, the fall of man into sin disrupted not only man's relation to God, but also his relation to his fellow men, as the story of Cain and Abel shows. Yeah, that's very clear. By means of civil government, God purposes to make it possible for men to live together in outward peace and security. Government, therefore, I think it should be governments, therefore, are to protect the lives, the property, the honor, and the reputation of the people, to safeguard them in the pursuit of their occupations and in the enjoyment of their liberties, and to preserve order and discipline in the commonwealth. This is the law in its first use, curb, to keep the, the world together. So there are laws about, like, don't take stuff that's not yours. And think, you know, don't, don't extort money and things. That's the law is the curb. Uh, for while rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil, they are ministers of God to thee for good. Romans 13, Kaler's using the, the King James there, and I just typed it out as I saw it. That we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all, I'm sorry, in all godliness and honesty. Looks like I wrote guidelines almost, but... Yeah, and in godliness and honesty. So the, the government rules for the, the good of the people. When the people are in danger of disarray or being attacked, government acts, correct? So some areas that the government has authority over us, and I, I don't want to get into, 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 into too much argument about these things, but I think, first of all, taxes and infrastructure. If my roads have too many potholes, I would like to be taxed so that the guys can come and fill in the potholes. I, and in our community, the great blessing of, of the road crews is that a lot of those guys live here in the city with us. So that's employment for them, right? Uh, other infrastructure also includes things like uh, the uh, public school system. You know, I, I, I love our Lutheran schools. Not every child goes to them. They should have a public school to go to. I went to public school as a kid. Things were different when I was a kid than they are now. But that also keeps, in theory, keeps our nation from being a nation of, you know, illiterate imbeciles by allowing education for, the, for all of the masses. Do you know who invented the concept of the kindergarten? Martin Luther. The same guy who invented... 10-pin bowling, and the Christmas tree. So all of these things are Lutheran inventions. More about that later. Um, 
the scoring system for bowling was Luther. Not bowling itself, but the scoring. Luther wanted to change bowling a little bit. And when, they, when, the, when the Puritans came over to America, nine pins was forbidden. But some of the Puritans had German family members, and they had heard about a different kind of bowling with another pin. So they had a political loophole, and Luther's bowling scoring system became universally renowned throughout the world. I'm going to stop, or I'll just keep going about that kind of stuff. So, Military and defense. The government, if we are threatened, the government protects us. Anybody know the only state in the Union that has its own army? He was the lone ranger, Texas Rangers. Texas has its own military. Yeah, It's a weird thing, but they have their own army. Yeah. I'm sorry, that was the theme song to the Lone Ranger when some of us were kids. I know. <laughs> I think there's one missing from the middle, but anyway. Uh, safety in homes and transportation. There are building codes so that your... Uh, uh, so that your computer mouse doesn't start your, uh, your, your house on fire and stuff like that. I don't know if that's possible, but I'm, I'm capable of doing all kinds of terrible things. You know. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. I do go around my house because of a problem I had a few years ago. I do visit uh, the, computer, the tower computers in my house regularly and wipe the dust off of the off of the intake, the air intake things, um, and so forth. Uh, my wife and I were driving down the road once, and all of a sudden, the control console of the steering wheel, the steering column, was on fire. Yeah. Steering fluid and dust in the console in a hot August day, suddenly the steering, the honey, the steering wheel's on fire, was an interesting conversation starter, and everybody woke up. Yeah. Uh, and I had to drive the rest of that trip, <laughs> too. Uh, so safety in homes and transportation. Um, you know, things, things to do with regulations about people who are driving big uh, vehicles and so forth and alcohol. Um, what was the big problem about a year ago? We're still not getting all of our parts because of the Suez Canal getting blocked because of a drunken crew taking a gigantic ship on a hey, 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 kind of a path through the Suez Canal and got wedged sideways for how many weeks and weeks and weeks. And, and uh, one brave guy in a, in a, in a, in a digger um, actually got right up next to the ship to try and, I mean, he could have been killed by when, when, when the ship finally got freed. And yeah, just to make sure that we all got our Cheerios, you know. Um, forbidden substances, drugs, chemicals, etc. Things are regulated. Um, uh, uh, various things that, um, even without going into the to the to the temperance movement and so forth, marriage and civil unions. I am delighted that the government has its fingers in marriage and civil unions because I don't want to have to go and verify that every couple that wants to get married is not already married. You know what kind of legal hassle that would, would just drag out into? I don't want to be that guy. 
Because um, one of the, in the, in the marriage license, they ask, when did your previous marriage terminate? Which is asking for proof, you know, proof of death or divorce. And they want an exact date on those things. And, um, and there are other things as well. Uh, also, we had to teach this to Pastor Ailhoffen when he came because Minnesota is one of the states that still has the no blue ink law with regard to the wedding license. It has to be signed in bl- black ballpoint. Cannot be a quill pen or a, or a, or a felt pen or, a, or a, what's the, the, a gel pen, and it has to be black. Why does that happen? Because in the early days of photocopiers in the 50s and 60s, photocopiers could not see blue, which is why one of the reasons why blueprints were blue because they couldn't be duplicated easily on a photocopier. It wouldn't see any of it. Um, and so some states put a law in, we want to see the signatures, so it has to be ballpoint, common. By the way, the cheapest pen, I mean, a, a, a pack of Bic pens cost the same as one gel pen, you know. So it's the cheapest, most commonest of, forgive my grammar, of pens. And we keep a couple up in the sacristy, and I make sure that we use them. And if the wedding photographer has to use the feather quill, well, we do that when we reenact. But actually on the altar during the ceremony, we use a ballpoint pen. The last one I have a question mark on because I was going to have a discussion, but I don't know if we want to go there. But what about immunization or quarantine during a time of epidemic? Let's go to quarantine in particular here. Yes, Well, and, and then what, what also what's the, on the other side of it? Yeah, so why is the government doing it? In, 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 if you put yourself in the place of the government and there, there's an epidemic going on or a, a pandemic going on, you want your people to be protected. And so that you, you, you start to make rules, you hope, that will help to, to, to keep people safe. However... There are people who, for example, can't do the immunization because they're on some kind of medication where the immunization would make things worse in their body. Um, what were we talking about this morning, Lynn? Was it oh, a person with, uh, not epilepsy, but uh, diabetes? Um, and it can mess them up for, you know, if, if, if not just weeks and months, but perhaps for the rest of their lives. Um, and so there should be some kind of give and take. Also, if you have people losing their jobs over this, then will the government also provide for those who have lost their jobs because of it? And uh, like I, I heard on the radio yesterday that a state, and I didn't catch the state, so I don't know about saying this out loud, but that that state's National Guard, uh, uh, those who are not immunized or are not vaccinated, are out of the out of the service. No, that's that's obviously a military decision to say I want to protect the soldiers, but um, there's there's probably some give and take on this. What we want to remember, especially, is that the government um, is there to protect us and to be there for the for the good of the nation um, and to protect its people. So you appreciate that our government officials have that in mind and are doing that. Um, but when they, uh, for one thing, cross into the realm of our faith, that's always a problem and should not happen. When uh, the, 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 the question this morning came up about trust and the government, 
And not that government is ever fully trusted by everybody or maybe anybody, depending on the government, but in, in a case like this, there is the case where if this, is, if, if this could end up being harmful to me or my loved ones or my children or grandchildren or whoever, you're, you're in a different realm. And I, so that I, I just want to point out to you guys that that's one of the reasons why we are avoiding this topic in the pulpit. Okay? Because there isn't a clear message about this. Um, why, although I shared with you what I've done in this class, I don't think I would even do that in a, in a larger group in our congregation. Um, uh, and nor would I want to bind anybody's conscience about this. Because um, the basic rule is we must obey God rather than men. But God has not given us a rule that says, don't do this, don't do that with regard to, to, to medicine. There are a lot of passages about medicine, but not with regard to this. We're beyond our time, so we'll get to Jehoshaphat's prayer and this war that did not happen uh, and go beyond that then next time. Uh, but let's close uh, just now with the Lord's Prayer, if we could, together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. God bless all of you. Have a good night, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.